Make Walters your spot before and after the MLS All-Star festivities at Audi Field. Skills Challenge Tuesday night, Arsenal against the MLS Stars on Wednesday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swung on, hit high in the air to deep right field. Back goes Thomas to the warning track, and now he's just going to watch as that one lands beyond the Cardinals' bullpen up into the bleachers. A long solo home run for Nolan Gorman, his 18th of the year. RBI number 55, and the Cardinals extend their lead here in the bottom of the fifth with one out. It's now St. Louis 4 and Washington 1. Weems 1-1. Swing a blast to left center field and deep. Sending call back to the warning track. Looking up at the wall and there it goes. It lands on the very top of the batter's eye hill in straightaway center. It's now 6-3 Cardinals on a tape measure home run. 16th of the year for Paul Goldschmidt. And welcome to Nat Chat for Monday, July 17th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. As the saying goes, rain, rain, go away, please. Uh, the Nats now have dealt with a rain delay in five of the team's last seven games, including in all three games of a series in which the Nats did lose two or three games at the St. Louis Cardinals over the weekend. Sunday afternoon, an 8-4 loss in a game plagued by a rain delay of 38 minutes. Uh, Nats fell to 37-56, and second-worst record in the National League. The Cardinals have the third-worst record in the National League. But, you know, right now, it's not just the rain, nor is it just the losing. It's also now two developing injury situations for the Nats. And these situations involve two trade chips in reliever Hunter Harvey and third baseman Jamer Candelario. The 2023 MLB trade deadline is just a few weeks away. August 1st, the Nats, as a rebuilding team, of course, need to continue to add to the inventory of prospects. But what's happening, especially with Harvey, uh, not so good and in multiple ways. Uh, this episode of the Nats Chat Podcast is sponsored by Bethany Sports Cards and Collectibles, located steps just off the boardwalk or right by Bethany Blues. Check out Bethany Sports Cards and Collectibles' incredible collection of cards, pictures, bobbleheads, and all sorts of of memorabilia. Mark, have you had your fill of rain delays or or would you like some more in this uh, upcoming series at the Chicago Cubs? Oh, please, Al. Bring bring it on. I, I have not had nearly enough rain yet uh, this summer. I mean, this I feel like I've been in St. Louis for a week at this point. And I'm sure the Nationals are thinking this too, that like, 
whatever good vibes and rest and just generally good feeling you have coming out of the All-Star break, I think it's all gone immediately. Some of that is because of the schedule. Some of that's the results on the field. Some of it is the injuries that we're going to get to here. But boy, this was like this whole weekend was like a punch in the face to the Nationals. And if they were feeling good about their situation and thinking, okay, we're going to get off to a good start here in the second half and we got a fresh bullpen and we could win another road series, like, man, it just slammed them in the face. And all of a sudden they're facing another grind and they're going to have to find a way to get through this. Well, if you remember the history of this podcast, the post-All-Star break portion of the 2021 season for the Nats began with that nightmarish three-game series against the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park that began with a 24-8 loss. So I guess you could say we have seen worse when it comes to series that begin post-All-Star break portions of Nat seasons, uh, at least in the life of this podcast. But there's no doubt this series at the Cardinals was not a particularly fun one for the Nats. I mean, the rain delay is, in a lot of ways, the worst thing about baseball. You know, there are so many great things about baseball the rain delay, there's like nothing good about a rain delay. It inconveniences teams, it inconveniences players, it inconveniences fans, it inconveniences people covering the teams. There's nothing good about it. No other sport really has to deal with something like this. And, you know, it's the reality of the summer, right? I mean, these rainstorms come and go. We in the D.C. area have been inundated with rain lately, and there's just not much that you can do about that. So it's not often that we begin with injury news, but I think on this installment of the show, that is the appropriate way to go. So Hunter Harvey, he on Saturday afternoon in the conclusion of the 7-5, 10-inning rain-suspended win for the Nats, did toss a perfect bottom of the 10th, but his velocity was down. And Davey Martinez in his pregame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon revealed that Harvey had reported having felt soreness in his right forearm and right triceps. It's his uh, forearm and uh, his back of his his tricep area. So he's one of our top end guys in the back of the bullpen. So we want to make sure that um, we keep an eye on him. Not what you want to hear if you're a Nats fan, especially given Harvey's injury history. Now, Davey said that an X-ray on Harvey came back clean. But then Davey, during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday, said that Hunter Harvey had been headed back to Washington, D.C. to get an MRI exam. Those are three letters you do not want to hear with Hunter Harvey, MRI. And Mark, as you tweeted after the game, it sounds like Hunter Harvey is set to be out for at least a little while. Even in a best case scenario here, if the MRI only shows some inflammation, he's almost certainly going to go on the IL. They didn't send him to Chicago for the MRI. They sent him to Washington. They want their own doctors looking at this. I don't think you do that and then say, all right, come on back and meet us in Chicago and you're going to pitch at the end of the night. No, I think at minimum, given his history, even if everything looks fine, they're going to give him two weeks off. There's a little interesting time element with that, as we'll get to here, in that 15 days from now is the trade deadline. So it's going to bump up right against that. But I do think there is legitimate concern here that it's not anything just insignificant. There could be more going on. It kind of got lost in the shuffle Saturday because it was you know the 10 inning game. And like you said, it was a one, two, three inning. So it was effective. But when you looked at it, you saw he's throwing a couple of his fastballs at 94 miles an hour. His average fastball velocity this year is 98.6. The hardest pitch he threw on Saturday was 97.9. So Davey, of course, asked him when he came in from the dugout, hey, anything going on? And he said, yeah, he was feeling sore. When I first heard x-ray, I thought, well, why are you going to give him an x-ray? That's only to check your bones. He didn't break a bone. The thought was, what if he had bone chips 
in his elbow, which could cause problems. So they have an x-ray at the stadium. They did that, found everything was fine in terms of that. That said, they weren't going to pitch him in the nightcap of the doubleheader, obviously. And then when he came back on Sunday morning, I think they made plans to go ahead and send him home already. He left the ballpark before the game started. I don't think the Nationals wanted the Cardinals necessarily to know that, that they were a man down in their bullpen. But I think they already knew and they just waited to tell us after the game officially that he was heading home. And it's hard to see how this doesn't turn into something that takes at least some amount of time. You hope it's nothing that bad. Lord knows this guy has been through so much in his career. And he's pitched well, but I think the even bigger success story there is the fact that he had, since late last summer, made it through all of this with a regular reliever's workload with no health problems. That was a big win for him and for the organization. So you hope that whatever it is that he's dealing with, it's nothing that completely derails all the progress that he's made in the uh, injury department. It's so tough with Hunter Harvey because he is so talented. Like the guy has this extreme arm talent and he just has not been able to stay healthy. Like, you know, at least with Steven Strasburg, he has had a career and he has a legacy and You know, he goes down as a 2019 World Series MVP and statistically speaking, one of the best postseason pitchers ever. Like, yes, it's unfortunate how his career is ending. And yes, it's unfortunate how much time he ended up missing for the Nats. But he had a career. Hunter Harvey, in so many ways, has not had a career. The Orioles took Hunter Harvey out of a high school in North Carolina with the number 22 overall pick in the 2013 MLB draft. He was drafted a decade ago. This is still just his age 28 season, but he has just been plagued by one injury after another, one arm injury or arm-related injury after another, and it's why he was available to the Nats. You know, I I think in some ways, to piggyback on what you just said, you have to give the Nats a big pat on the back for having kept Harvey this healthy for this long. You know, as pathetic as that may sound, I mean, it's not like he's pitched for the Nats for like multiple seasons, but they've actually gotten a good bit out of Hunter Harvey, certainly a lot more than the Orioles ever got out of Hunter Harvey. But, you know, with Harvey, I mean, it's almost like we've kind of just been waiting for this. His history just screams of like he's going to get hurt again. And he's not a foundational piece. He's not a building block because of that. You're just trying to get what you can out of the guy. And I've advocated for him being a trade ship. I don't know how serious the Nats have been this season about trading him, but, you know, good luck now. I mean, how are you going to get much for him if you're going to get anything for him at this point? I mean, obviously you want him to be healthy. That's the first concern. But, you know, from just purely the prism of the rebuild, you know, he's had kind of an up and down season anyway, but what team is going to give up much of anything for this guy right now if he's dealing with an arm issue like this? Yeah, I think that's, you know, ultimately the baseball problem with it is that, you can trade a guy when he's on the IL. Remember the Nats traded Kyle Schwarber when he was on the IL. What did they get in return? A low A pitcher named Aldo Ramirez who hasn't pitched in almost two years because of injuries. So if that's what you got for Kyle Schwarber, then imagine what you might get at this point for Hunter Harvey if he's on the IL at the time. So yeah, the timing of it obviously is very unfortunate in those terms. I don't know if they were determined to try to trade him or not. I think it's been an interesting question all along. With him and Kyle Finnegan in particular, do you try to strike while the iron's hot and get them when their value is up there and when they have multiple years of control? Or do you say, well, they have multiple years of control. They've been effective. Maybe they could be a part of a team that's ready to win in a year or two. This may force their hand and to keep them, although you know we don't know what exactly he's dealing with, how long he'll be out, what kind of long-term ramifications there are of that. But like you said, that's always been 
the fear with him. From the day you sign him, you cannot assume anything. You have to know that there's a good chance he's going to get hurt at some point. But I want to give him credit. I want to give the Nationals credit for how hard they have worked and come up with a plan that has worked for him. And I'm sure there are going to be people out there who say, well, see, they overworked him and this is why it happened. I don't think that's the case. They have been pretty careful with him. There have been a couple of times they extended him more than he has in the past, but he has never once said there was any issue with that or any problems. He just came out of the all-star break. He didn't pitch for several days. I think the greater concern there might be, and I don't know the answer to this, did he shut himself totally down over the all-star break and try to ramp it up all of a sudden when he had to come into a game on Saturday, or did he keep his arm fresh at all? It's a tricky thing over an all-star break. How do you handle that? I really think it's more that than any overusage on the Nationals' part this season. I think they've done a pretty good job of watching his workload and trying to make sure that things like this wouldn't happen. Well, it's debatable the extent to which Hunter Harvey was viewed as a trade chip by the Nats, but you got to think that Jamer Candelario is the number one trade chip on the Nats. Certainly in terms of performance this season, he overall has done a really nice job on a one-year $5 million contract, but he's dealing with this issue with the right thumb. And so, you know, this isn't like an elbow issue for a pitcher or, you know, a shoulder issue for a pitcher or like a knee issue for a player. This is a thumb ailment, right? So it's like, okay, it's not that serious, right? Well, Jamer Candelario is having a hard time playing right now. So he and that uh, 7-5-10 inning win at the Cardinals in the rain-suspended game started for the Nats at third base, was a number three batter. Top of the first on Friday night, struck out swinging on nine pitches for the third out, then left the game due to a right thumb bone bruise that he suffered during a defensive drill on Friday afternoon. He ended up not playing in either of the final two games of the series, and Candelario for this 8-4 loss at the Cardinals on Sunday afternoon was set to be back. He was set to be the Nats starting third baseman and number three batter, but his pregame testing of the right thumb did not go well, and so he was a late scratch. This has been described as, again, a right thumb bone bruise, but the fact that he tried to play on Sunday and couldn't play on Sunday, how significant is that? Well, significant in that, you know, it tells you that this isn't just something you can play right through, but it's also not something that anybody has reason to think is going to get worse. It's really a pain tolerance issue, and I know somebody's going to say, oh, it's just his thumb, what's the big deal? All right, grab a wooden bat, take a hack at a 95-mile-hour fastball on the handle, and see how that feels after all that, number one, as a hitter. Number two, and I think this was a concern as well, he's a third baseman. This is his right thumb. Feel the ground ball and now try to make a throw all the way across the diamond when your right thumb is not feeling 100%. The other thing that concerns me is his throwing. There's his throwing hand, so I want him to go out there and play catch and make sure he can throw. It's going to affect the grip in some way. So I think that is the concern. The good news, again, he's not going to tear a ligament. He's not going to do anything that's going to cause him to miss a significant amount of time. But if it's hurt and if you can't play comfortably and you're in pain and you can't play the way that you're supposed to play, you got to sit. And so it is discouraging that they hoped he could play Sunday. And once he tried to go through some workouts, he realized, no, it's not going to happen. I think it's a day-to-day issue. I don't think that one would change a ton when it comes to the trade deadline, because even if he had to go on the IL and he misses these two weeks, I think there'd be an understanding that this is not an injury that should linger for any length of time and be something that a team would be worried about was going to cost them down the road. I think just have to wait for it to heal however long that takes, and then he should be good to go. 
Well, maybe Dominic Smith is playing himself into being a trade chip with the way he's done uh, the last few games. More on our guy Dom in just a little bit. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Nats Chat. MLS All-Star Game this Wednesday. Tickets aren't cheap for this one with Arsenal coming to D.C., so you should check out the Game Time app. What would the baseball equivalent of this be? The Boston Red Sox are facing the KBO All-Stars in Seoul, Korea? Seems like a cool way to stage your All-Star Game either way. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for events like this one for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys. I want to tell you about Factor. Uh, so we on the Nats Chat podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. And so here's a special deal for listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the promo code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the promo code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. The 1-0. Swing a ground ball up the middle. That's going to sneak through past the late diving attempt of Garcia. Heading home is Kisner, and racing for third is Donovan. And Lars Dupar makes it 3-1 St. Louis with a seeing-eye ground ball single. 
That's their fifth single of the inning. You know, you take a step back and you look at the Nats losing two or three games at the Cardinals. The Nats pitching really was the problem. The Nats hitting in this series really wasn't that bad. It wasn't perfect, but the offense, for the most part, did its part. The Nats pitching in this series was abysmal. So in terms of starting pitching, the Nats over the first two games of this series got a combined five and two-thirds innings from starters Trevor Williams and Jake Irvin. Williams due to rain, Irvin due to ineffectiveness. And you look at the Nats' bullpen in this series, Nats relievers over the three games at the Cardinals combined to allow 13 runs in 15 and a third innings. I mean, the bullpen really was bad over these last three games. But what about Josiah Gray on Sunday afternoon? The Nats lone all-star, he of course is having a very nice step forward season, but this was a rough outing for Josiah Gray. Four runs in five innings. He gave up a uh, Patrick Corbin-like 10 hits, a homer, a double, and eight singles. Uh, Gray issued a walk and a hit by pitch. He had just two strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches, did throw a good number of strikes. Uh, He over his five innings threw 95 pitches, 61 strikes versus 34 balls. But I mean, watching this game, it was every inning Gray putting on multiple guys on base, or so it felt. Gray began his outing with three scoreless innings despite putting two guys on base in each inning. Scoreless bottom of the first despite giving up a leadoff double and issuing a two out hit by pitch. Scoreless bottom of the second despite giving up a leadoff single and a one out single. Scoreless bottom of the third despite giving up a leadoff single followed by issuing a walk. Then the runs came. Josiah Gray in the bottom of the fourth allowed three runs on five hits, all of which were singles. And then Gray in the bottom of the fifth allowed a run on a one-out full-count solo homer by Nolan Gorman on a bomb to right field for a 4-1 Cardinals lead, 423 feet per stat cast. We obviously have seen Josiah Gray pitch a lot better for so much of this season. But man, I mean, you know, we've talked about him putting guys on base. That was at maybe a low point of the season with what happened in this game. Josiah, just every inning, it felt like putting a bunch of guys on base. Well, 10 hits allowed, that matches his career high. So that tells you this has not been that common of a thing. And it was literally the leadoff hitter in each of those first four innings, not just reaching, but reaching on a hit. And so what you had was of the first 79 pitches Josiah Gray threw in this game, 67 of them came with him out of the stretch. He only threw 12 pitches out of a windup because literally the first batter of every inning got on and then he never got a double play or anything to clear the bases. That is a lot of high leverage, high stress at bats that he had to face. Good on him for getting through the first three. The Cardinals were 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position through the first three innings. But you can only pull off that magic act so many times. And by the fourth thing, it just wasn't going to happen. He's exhausted at that point. They end up, the Cardinals, in those four innings, they ended up with 14 at-bats with runners in scoring position in four innings to start the game. That's insane. Now, you only get three hits in those spots, and they were all singles. So, I mean, he did not give up the one kind of big hit that blew it all open. You know, so he did, I guess, minimize the damage as much as possible. But you can't live life like this forever. Yes, he's been good. Batting average against is under 200 this year with runners in scoring position. That's really good. But one, two, three innings are better. <laughs> you don't want to put yourself into a jam every time. You need some cleaner innings. And I think this is the next big step for him. 95 pitches in five innings. If you really want to step this up, you've got to show you can have quicker innings and get through the sixth and get through the seventh on occasion. If you are five and dive every time with a pitch count approaching 100, 
It's not going to cut it in the long run if he is going to be the pitcher that they believe he can be. We've talked about the uh, statistical profile of Josiah Gray this season. The profile really is fascinating. So he now has made 19 starts. He has an ERA of 359. You love that. Every Nats fan listening to this would have signed up for that. But the whip is at 147. He's averaging about one and a half walks plus hits per inning. I mean, that is way too high. And that really doesn't translate to an ERA of 359. Whip can be to ERA as like run differential is to record. So like you can have a good record, but if the run differential is bad, you say to yourself, boy, that record seems kind of flimsy, right? And I don't want to suggest that Gray doesn't deserve this ERA of 359, but as we've talked about, it has kind of felt like a market correction could be coming. Now, to Gray's credit, he's kind of staved off the market correction. You know, like he's continued to sort of pitch along the lines of having an ERA of three and a half. But yeah, like that whip of 147 does stand out. And, you know, you look further at the statistical profile of Josiah Gray, he has a pretty normal batting average on balls in play allowed. It's not like this guy's been plagued by a bunch of bad luck on balls in play. The Babbitt allowed is at 306. You know, Mackenzie Gore has actually been plagued by some bad luck on the Babbitt allowed. Gray, not so much. So this is a pretty legitimate 147 whip. Like that and, and the pitch inefficiency would seem to be the two things that he has to get better at. And, you know, it's, it stood out to me too, only having the two strikeouts. Gray is a high variance guy with strikeouts. Like Josiah Gray has outings in which he is a strikeout pitcher. And then he has games like this one on Sunday afternoon in which he barely strikes any guys out. He really is like all over the place when it comes to generating strikeouts in his outings. Right. And he actually talked about this after the game. He thinks some of that is about which pitches he uses in a given outing. When he's going with cutters and sinkers, which is, I think he's gone more with that this year than in the past, he understands that those are kind of pitch to contact pitches as opposed to sliders, curveballs, even straight up fastballs where you're trying to get swings and misses. So he's trading off the strikeouts in exchange for what he hopes will be softer contact. Not a ton of hard contact. And the thing that he's done this year that, that distinguishes this from last year is he hasn't given up the home runs. I get one in this game to Nolan Gorman. It was a solo shot in the fifth inning. That really wasn't the one that did him in. We saw last year how much of a problem that was. So I think it, at times there's been a conscious decision. Don't chase strikeouts, chase weak contact. It may lead to some more hits, but if they're mostly singles, you think you can live with it and the damage won't be that bad. So it's a sound philosophy, but if you're pitching to contact in theory, you should have quicker at bats and you should not throw 95 pitches in five innings. If that's your philosophy, that's fine. And you're good at it. You better get through six or seven innings. The five innings with the pitch contact idea, that doesn't really mesh real well. Well, I mentioned that that's offense for the most part uh, doing pretty well in this series at the Cardinals. The worst of the three games was this 8-4 loss at St. Louis on Sunday afternoon. The Nats had four runs on just four hits. Did draw five walks. That was good. But the Nats went one for six with runners in scoring position. But the takeaway from this series, from a Nationals offensive standpoint, certainly, you know, from a big picture view, is C.J. Abrams. And the series that he ended up having and how about the way that CJ capped the series? Abrams, of course, uh, the Nats' new number one batter. He, uh, in this series, was the Nats' number one batter, starting shortstop in all three games. And Abrams, in this game on Sunday afternoon, at two for four with a triple and a double. He had an Nats' two run six, had a one out triple to the right center field gap. He had an Nats' one run eight, had a leadoff opposite field double to left field. 
C.J. Abrams, over the three games at the Cardinals, a combined six for 13 with the homer, the triple, the double, and three singles, and he went two for two on stolen bases. You know, a nit to pick with C.J. Abrams over the first four games of him as a number one batter was, yeah, he's getting on base, but, you know, a bunch of singles. Where's the power? Well, (laughs) the power came over the final two games of this series at St. Louis. The 9-6 loss on Saturday night, Abrams two for four, solo homer and a single, and uh, this 8-4 loss on Sunday afternoon, two for four, triple and a double. This is awesome what C.J. Abrams is doing right now. This is potentially life-changing stuff for him and for the Nationals, Al. Each passing day that it goes on, you get closer to saying, okay, I think there may actually be something here that is sustainable. What he's doing right now, he's got a really good approach. He sees fastballs. He's trying to hit it the other way. He's taking his singles to left field. But when he sees breaking balls, he's recognizing it and turning on it and hitting it in the air to the pole side. And that's where the doubles and triples and even home runs are coming. That's a good approach for a guy like him. He has actually slugged decently this year. I think this is a guy who, you know, we don't think of, you think of him as a little guy, slap hitter, like he's never going to be a big slugger. And in some ways, it kind of reminds me of Trey Turner when he was young. You saw glimpses of it. And as he got older and, and a little wiser at the plate, he would hit for a lot of power. He became a legitimate home run threat. Abrams OPS is now 719. That's solid given where it was not that long ago. I think there's some real potential here for him to be not just a get on base leadoff guy, but a guy who can get on multiple bases at a time, whether it's single and stolen base or double or triple or even homer. Yeah. And look, where he was drafted what he was when the Nats made the Juan Soto Josh Bell trade and got him back as, you know, Maybe the centerpiece of that trade, I mean, you can argue who the centerpiece of that package from the Padres for the Nats was, but, you know, Abrams certainly is a contender for that. Like, he is supposed to be more than just a slap-hitting leadoff guy. He has that kind of talent, and it's great to see him displaying that talent. You know, the Trey Turner analogy is interesting because Trey isn't necessarily like a high walks guy. Abrams has not been that, but, you know, if you're slugging 500, then that's okay. You can live with a guy not drawing a ton of walks. Now, we have a ways to go until C.J. Abrams is slugging 500, but clearly uh, the guy has some pop. And, you know, what you want to see from someone like this is the tear, you know, even if the tear is a tease, you want to at least see a glimpse of, oh, that's what the scouts have seen. That's what the baseball ops guys have seen. I think what was a little disturbing with CJ is that we really had not seen any kind of a tear. You know, he'd had like maybe a good two week stretch here or there, but like where was the awe inspiring run during which you said to yourself, there it is. That's the guy who can be a superstar. I think we're maybe possibly seeing that now, and that is just so encouraging and so uplifting. And so even if there is another slump to come, at least you can say to yourself, well, what we saw in you know late June, early July, that is kind of what we can get back to, and that's who this guy can end up being. And you know, maybe that's not just for us. Maybe that's for him too. You know, I, I think for himself, he probably needed to see himself do this to know that he can do this at the major league level. I was about to make that exact point. I think it's important for him to understand, yes, I have that ability in me at this level. We've got to remember, he's still really inexperienced at both the major league and minor league level. And so any success that he has right now is good for him. And you hear veteran players talk about it all the time. When they go through a slump, what do you do? You go back in your mind and you think, when were things going well? How did I do well then? How did I get out of a slump 
in the past. You can't have that until you have some experience, until you have some success at the big league level. He's got a little bit of that now that he can maybe turn to. I said it the other night, the move to the leadoff spot, I think, has emboldened him. He's playing with more energy, enthusiasm. It's showing out there on the field. This so far has really been a success story. Again, small sample, not that much, but there's a lot to like even in that small period of time. Yeah, and I give Davey Martinez credit because this may have been a stroke of genius to bump Abrams up to the number one spot of him having done better. But, you know, let's be honest, this move up to the number one spot was as much a gift as it was something that was earned. Again, Abrams had been better But, you know, normally you'd like for a guy to be doing better for longer before you elevate him from the eight or nine spot to the number one spot. So I do give Davey credit for this. This may end up looking like just a really great move by Davey. If there's one thing that Davey Martinez has proven over the years, he's got the magic touch when it comes to putting guys in the leadoff spot, right? Schwarber, even Lane Thomas when they made that move and took off earlier this year and now C.J. Abrams. Something about that spot, Davey has a sense for it and understands what a difference it can make. Yeah, well, it didn't go so well with Cesar Hernandez, but we won't talk about that right now. (laughs) We'll leave that alone uh, for now. Good job by Kate Ruiz in this 8-4 loss at the Cardinals on Sunday afternoon. He was an Nats starting catcher and number five batter, one for three with a solo homer, a walk, and an RBI ground out. And good job by the Nats cleanup batter on Sunday afternoon. Dominic Smith, you know, speaking of Davey knowing what to do with lineups, I mean, I think a lot of people see Dom in the number four spot and are like, what? But Dominic Smith had himself a pretty decent series here. He in the 9-6 loss on Saturday night, two for four with two doubles and a walk. And Smith in this 8-4 loss on Sunday afternoon, one for three with a two-run double and a walk. Uh, Dominic Smith in an at two-run six, a two-out first pitch, two-run double to the right center field gap to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. I saw you tweet this, and I had to laugh. This hit incredibly. (laughs) Dominic Smith's first extra base hit with a runner in scoring position this season. That is what you call a stunning stat. It was only his 82nd plate appearance with the runner in scoring position, Al, though. So, I mean, you know, you got to give everything time to work itself out. Who among us hasn't gone 81 plate appearances without an extra base hit? Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I had to double check that one when I saw it. I thought that can't be right. Oh, no, no, actually it was right. No extra base hits. Here's another interesting thing. And Dom Smith said it after the game. You've seen this now uh, last week, really go back even before the All-Star break. He homered in the uh, first half finale, couple of doubles. And then this one in the, the finale here in, in St. Louis, he's starting to hit the ball in the air with a little bit of authority, something everybody has desperately waited to see from him. And he said there's been a little bit of a mindset change for him. He felt like he was really going out of his way to not strike out through the first half of the year, make contact. And he said, you know what? It led to a lot of singles, but I think I've hit my quota of singles for the season. He made a conscious decision here lately to say, I'm going to swing harder. I'm going to try to elevate the ball. If I strike out, it's not the end of the world. Strikeouts are just another out. Maybe I'm going to run into a few and start hitting the ball for some power. And I got to tell you, that stuck with me because what has the defining characteristic of the 2023 Nationals lineup been? Contact, low strikeouts, low walks, very little power. And here you have Dom Smith kind of going against that convention now and saying, I'm going to do it a little differently. I don't know if that's in conjunction with uh, Darnell Coles, the hitting coach, and Davey Martinez and anybody else, or if he's doing this on his own. 
I don't know, but that is really an opposite approach of what we've seen for the most part preached around here this year. Yeah. You know, hitting for contact is nice and not striking out a lot is nice, but hitting for power and drawing walks is better. And so that's why you've seen a lot of players in MLB over the last, say, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years, uh, gladly make that exchange of I'll strike out some more if it means hitting some more home runs and drawing some more walks. I mean, there's a reason that this three true outcome thing has been a thing in baseball for about a decade plus now. And, you know, with Dominic Smith, I mean, it's easy to forget this. Look, he has not overall had a great season, but Dominic Smith over the 2019 and 2020 seasons for the New York Mets, 396 total major league plate appearances, OPS plus a 150. Like he was actually a very productive hitter for the Mets over a couple of seasons. Now he wasn't consistent enough beyond those seasons, but the guy can hit like he does have talent. And so what we've seen from him for so much of this season is certainly not the best of him. There always has been more in him. The question has been, are you going to see that from Dominic Smith this season? Maybe we are. I mean, you know, you, you got two and a half months left in this season. I'm, I'm assuming he's not going to be traded. You know, I, I don't know that there's a, a lot of trade value in Dominic Smith, even uh, with this uh, mini run that he's on. Although I guess who the heck knows? John Lester got traded two years ago. I always remind myself of that. Like you just never know with these trades, but maybe just maybe Dominic Smith uh, can get going. That would be nice. So next up for the Nats is a three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are an interesting team to look at. The Cubs essentially are the anti-Miami Marlins. The Marlins have this very good record despite having a negative run differential. The Cubs have a bad record despite having a positive run differential. The Cubs are the only team in the National League Central with a positive run differential, but the Cubs are 43 and 49. The run differential is plus 21. It's amazing. The two central divisions are so bad this season in terms of the quality of the teams, the NL Central and the AL Central. But the Nats have this three-game series coming up at the Chicago Cubs, then uh, do get the off day on Thursday. Your starting pitchers for the Nats in this series, all three of these games, by the way, 805 games, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Mackenzie Gore, Patrick Corbin, and Trevor Williams, I mean, you got to get some more length out of your starting pitching. And, and I, look, I don't put what happened with Trevor Williams on Friday night on him. Obviously, that was a rain thing. But Jake Irvin in game two and Josiah Gray in game three, disappointing to see. This is not sustainable with this bullpen, especially now that we're beyond the all-star break. I mean, this bullpen was asked to pitch nearly 16 innings over these three games at the Cardinals, and the results were not good. Yeah. And look, the rain and the suspended game, all that didn't help matters at all. And the fact they don't have an off day now until after the Cubs series doesn't help. The fact that Hunter Harvey is now not with them doesn't help. But the best thing the Nationals can do for themselves to compensate for all that is to get some length and some quality from your rotation. Uh, this is a big start for Mackenzie Gore. He has not actually pitched that much in the last few weeks. He got rocked in Philadelphia, knocked out early. Then he got rain-delayed Back in D.C., they decided not to put him back out there. They gave him an extended all-star break, made him the fourth pitcher coming out of the break, all in an attempt to save up his innings that they're watching so closely. I think this is a big start for him to reestablish what he is and maybe get the second half off on a good foot for him. And then Corbin and Williams are your veterans, and they're supposed to give you some innings, certainly in Corbin's case. If nothing else, he's supposed to give you six innings, so we'll see how he does when he comes back from eternity leave. But... The bullpen is in a very different place now than it was. There was a lot of stability there for the first two and a half months of the year. And then all of a sudden, there have been a ton of changes, both for performance and now because of injury. And they're going to have to compensate for that somehow. It's now 
Kyle Finnegan, Mason Thompson, and I guess Jordan Weems as your top three guys. That's not the way it looked a few weeks ago. The best thing they can do to help those guys is for their starters to go deeper in games. You think Finnegan moves back into the ninth inning role, or do you think Davey keeps Finnegan in the current role and maybe tries, say, a Mason Thompson in the ninth inning role? I'm going to guess here that he's going to say Finnegan is my top guy, and I'm going to pick the spot that makes the most sense. And maybe that's the ninth, but maybe it is the eighth with the heart of the opposing lineup up. And if that is the case, he'll do that and then maybe try Mason Thompson in the ninth. It's a good question. I think what we've seen from Davey now is that with any of them, but especially with Finnegan, he's going to want to use him in whatever situation makes the most sense for it. And he's not going to fall victim to the, he's my closer. He doesn't pitch until the ninth inning mentality that we've seen from other managers in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I would guess, you know, come Monday night, they're up one run in the eighth and the Cubs have the heart of their lineup up. I think we see Finnegan there. Good to have you with us for this installment of the Nat Chat Podcast. We're brought to you by Bethany Sports Cards and Collectibles, located steps uh, just off the boardwalk right by Bethany Blues. Check out the incredible collection of cards, pictures, bobbleheads, and all sorts of memorabilia. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. That email address again is Podcast at gmail.com. We have a great website too, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. There's never a blueprint for when a player gets to the big leagues. You know, they they make sure that we know when that they're big league ready. So, uh, you know, he's uh, he's an accomplished college player that played at a high the highest level you could play in, in the collegiate ranks. And I, I think that uh, you know he's he's a guy that uh, will assess when he gets when he gets in camp. And uh, he's played a long, strenuous, stressful season already. And uh, you know we're not going to force feed him, you know, you know, very hard this year. Uh, but uh, but he's a player that we think again is going to be, you know, a big a big part of this uh, of this group uh, in the near future.